Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. We're going to talk about mushrooms, but not the magic kind. We're going to talk about the other kind of mushrooms, you know, the kind that has medicinal value, uh, the kind that, (laughs) depending on which species you use, can do almost anything a lot of the big pharmaceutical drugs can do, as well as things that are really important for our soil, for our food supply, and things like that. It's going to be a fascinating episode. You're going to find some things you didn't know about some of the mushrooms you already eat, as well as some of the mushrooms you probably should be eating but aren't. And I'm also going to ask the hard questions about why mushrooms suck. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There is now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast, smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. You guys ready for the show? I hope you are, because today's guests know an awful lot about this. Here with me in person today at Bulletproof Labs Alpha, uh, up at my house on Vancouver Island, all the way here from New South Wales, Australia. Wales, Wales, is there some proper way to say that? New South Wales, that was good pronunciation. Uh, I did pretty good. I, I can almost say Melbourne, but it's, it's, see, there's like bun, burn, I, I don't know. I, I appreciate your Australianness, even though I can't speak it. Uh, so by the way, that was just a proof point that they're actually from Australia. But uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about something else too, which is food security. And Julian Mitchell from a company called Life Cycle, C-Y-K-E-L. I've been working with them for the last several months and really testing out their species and their extracts. And I actually became an investor and advisor in the company because I'm <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. I found nothing else that increased my REM sleep as much as the specific extracts um, of one species. We're going to talk about which species that is later in the show. And I've tried all sorts of different extracts of the same species, but maybe not the same strains. So there's some really special stuff here, and I want you to be able to learn from their expertise here. Julian is a CEO, and Julian, you're kind of a weird guy to get into mushrooms because physiotherapy, elite sports physiotherapists with high-performance people at the English Premier Club... And you traveled around with basically soccer or football, depending on what country you're in, uh, players. And now you're a mushroom guy. Transition from 
exports in the UK to mushrooms. How the heck does that happen? I try to explain that it's a natural progression or a natural evolution, but it's, it's definitely not. I guess my, my roots were growing up in the country in farming and agriculture, but um, understanding high performance comes alongside nutrition and understanding what tools we have in those nutritional realms coming across mushrooms is, like you said earlier, there's so many applications that they have and so many properties that they can achieve um, for the desired outcomes of athletes as well as everyday people. So that was, I guess, one reason why we got into mushrooms. All right. So you, you got a personal uh, personal interest in these things. It, it seems like it, you made a pretty big you know, working with high visibility athletes uh, into you know what's an emerging industry, was there a wake up moment for you? The wake up moment was really what does the future of food look like, and I guess understanding um, living a life based out of out of passion. And I enjoyed working with elite athletes and and in those environments, but it was really, I guess, thinking um, along the lines of what did I want to spend the rest of my life doing, uh, and that was. I guess looking at the future of food and then doing a lot of research and understanding mushrooms was almost like an uncharted continent um, with infinite applications, not just in food, but in biotechnology. One of the things that scares the crap out of me, frankly, is the centralization of food production. Uh, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I live on a small permaculture-based farm. Uh, we grow most of the food that we eat. At least we grow enough that we could we could live just off the land, but I'd, I'd miss a few things like wasabi. Uh, but most people, are they don't have enough space, or maybe they do have enough space and they don't know it. But if you look at the average city, uh, they run out of food within something like 16 hours of there not being trucks coming in because we're we're on this real-time delivery thing. If we were to move from centralized food production to decentralized food production, I think you can do some of that with grass-fed cows. In fact, you get much healthier soil. You do a lot of that with community gardens. We used to call them victory gardens in World War II, which was, there are people alive today who planted victory gardens. It's not like it was that long ago, but they're mostly gone. Right. And what's left is pretty much, well, you could have tilapia in your garage with some algae sort of weird thing going on, aquaponics or some of that. And then there's growing mushrooms, which seems to be the lowest common denominator. It's cheapest. They can be nutritional. Um, they could also be harmful, though. Where do you see the future 20 years from now in terms of percentage of human diet from mushrooms versus algae versus some sort of cultured? cellular product thing versus quote real food from soil first point is that mushrooms and mushroom based foods are going to play a huge role in the future of food as they grow quickly require very little resources in terms of water power and land and the amazing nutritional profile that they have and of course being 100 percent natural as for the algae industry and, and algae well actually our biotechnology engineer previously worked in this industry in, in europe and moved across to mushrooms largely because you know, the uh, the adoption was going to be very slow due to its high energy inputs, its enormous use of water, and limited applications due to its high unit economics and costs. And so less optimistic on, on algae and the future there, but cellular-based meats, that's, uh, I guess there's a couple of questions around what are the key ingredients, how many ingredients are being used, preservatives and numbers, uh, you know, are these ingredients GMO? So these are important questions, I guess, that come alongside cellular-based foods. And, you know, we have seen some some great plant-based meat companies. Um, and while being, you know, very good for the planet, the real question, I guess, is, you know, what are those ingredients and 
and other inflammatory markers within those ingredients. But I think uh, it's safe to say soil-based foods, regenerative farming should take up to you know 65% of our plate, grass-fed permaculture-raised animal protein sources, um, somewhere around 15%, same with mushrooms being somewhere around 15%, and cellular-based foods, somewhere around 5%, I think that kind of diet attached to asking the important questions. Where was our food growing? How was it growing? This sets us up for a bright future of food and a healthier society. Do you have a lot of uh, preppers uh, who have become mushroom farmers? Preppers, sorry. Preppers, you know, into the world's coming. I've got a lot of machine guns, barbed wire fences, and I know I'm gonna have to feed myself when the apocalypse happens. It just seems like this is the <laughs> ideal prepper food. We're, pre we're prepping for that, no. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't build them into the business plan or the business model, the, the preppers, but just understanding people have a yearning for local food, for connecting to where food comes from. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about how we're going to feed all the people on the planet, and I think mushrooms are a part of it, but I've been, call me highly skeptical about mushrooms. In fact, I've got a series of books from a WHO researcher with... Uh, 17 years of, of research. It's called the Fungal Bionic Series. And I bought these books, geez, 10, 15 years ago, and they were only printed in Germany, and I spent 500 bucks on three books. But they're a compendium of all the research on the effects of mold and mold toxins and fungal toxins on human health. And most of it is around mold, because environmental mold and mold in crops, uh, mold from storing crops, can completely wreck your health. But the majority of mushrooms out there are actually poisonous. So given that most plants make defense compounds to keep animals from eating them, this is why grains are bad for you, nightshades generally are bad for most people, probably everyone. Uh, and we have these, these things where it's a double-edged sword. I, there were two studies in this book that I can remember that said white button mushrooms in, increased smooth cell proliferation in your endothelial layer. Uh, so I'm like, wow, this seems kind of scary. So I always put mushrooms in the, you know what? These are for medicinal use and using them for food is a little bit sketchy. On the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap, I put them in the crypt, or not in the kryptonite zone, but in the suspicious zone where you need to decide their suspects. Are they innocent? Are they guilty? But that was, you know, this is going back, this research over a long period of time. And the more I'm seeing about mushrooms, the more open-minded mind, I am to it. So my first question is, how do you know that all these species that we're using are actually completely safe for humans versus, oh, they're mostly good, but they have these gnarly downsides on them? Well, at life cycle, our process for deciding what mushrooms we grow and put into our product starts firstly with a detailed scientific, scientific literature review, toxicology evaluations, and laboratory tests to get the data on DNA identification, heavy metals, microbiology and mycotoxin testing. And so I guess as a listener, uh, you know, hearing that medicinal mushrooms and functional mushrooms play a role uh, may be, uh, you know, a new concept, but really there are 30,000 scientific medical articles out there in, in the reviews. And so this gives us, you know, a lot of science to work from. And so I guess it's important to realize the vastness of the fungi kingdom with mushrooms, numbering plants six to one. This means just like there are medicinal and harmful plants, the same goes for mushrooms. It's funny because ergothionine is a compound much stronger than, than glutathione, which a lot of listeners know about because it's a bulletproof product and I've talked about the detox pathways. 
And you, you say, all right, well, wait, mushrooms have this, and just eating mushrooms can contribute that beneficial compound to your body, which reduces cardiovascular risk. So I'm, I'm still out on the fence. I do know from looking at things like fungal overgrowth in humans, candida is, is the biggest issue there, or yeast overgrowth in that case, that there are a whole bunch of people out there, including functional medicine doctors that I know and respect, who say eating mushrooms makes people get yeast infections, or at least if, if you're not going to get a yeast infection, you won't probably get one from eating mushrooms. But if you eat mushrooms and you have a, a candida problem, it's going to get worse. What's your clinical or, or anecdotal experience with that? It's a very good question. We do hear often in the media of candida issues, you know, which is a yeast infection, and yeast is part of the fungi kingdom. And so does this mean if I eat mushrooms, my candida will get worse? Well, certainly we know eating sugar and yeast-based foods will make the candida worse, but I guess anyone you know suffering from these kind of conditions definitely consulting a a functional medical doctor is, is step one, but I guess as general rules and, and theoretically not consuming raw mushrooms is a very good idea. And then secondly, you know, functional mushrooms um, such as turkey tail, which we know possess high amounts of PSP, which is polysaccharide peptide, which acts to support the growth and proliferation of good bacteria. Uh, it makes sense to incorporate these into maintaining and restoring good gut health. So that, that's one of the reasons uh, that I'm, I'm advising you guys and, uh, and investing is, is the level of science that you've gone through on, on that, like even your answer to that question. So perhaps the two studies from the 80s around white bud mushrooms because they were slicing them on salads, right, versus cooking them because they didn't look at cooking techniques, which absolutely matters. Uh, so cooked mushrooms are going to do something different, yeah. I've also seen more recent studies around specific subspecies. Uh, uh, in fact, cordyceps, I believe, is one of them that actually have anti-candida uh, properties. So the deal is you should know what mushroom you're using and what you're using it for. Uh, but I've always, uh, if you're a long-time listener, you might just say, oh, Dave doesn't like mushrooms. No, I've always said use them medicinally. And I'm amending that to say use them for food if they make you feel good, and your food is your medicine anyway. So if you can eat something that tastes good, that also increases ergothionine levels, you may feel a kick from it right then. You probably won't from eating you know, half a cup of cooked mushrooms. But if you take a tincture, you probably will. Because I've noticed you know, very, very profound effects from the tinctures that you guys make. And I did test them against a bunch of others. And at least when I look at my sleep score, I get a lot more REM sleep with the specific strains of um, of lion's mane in particular that you make. I first tried putting lion's mane in my coffee, oh, somewhere around 2012, <laughs> because I looked at the research on brain-derived nootropic factor, which is really, really good for lion's mane. And what I found was that uh, when I put the powder in my coffee, even at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop, uh, we offered lion's mane and some other stuff, it just doesn't taste good to put mushroom powder like that in uh, in coffee. Uh, so I also wasn't getting much result from it. But I tried before bed, didn't get much result. But when I tried a tincture dual extract the way you guys are doing it, I'm like, oh my God, my REM sleep just dramatically went up. Uh, and it's very noticeable. I skip a night, I get half as much. I put it back in, 
I get it again. So I've been able to really zoom in on that one effect from it. Uh, however, I guess I, I wouldn't mind putting that tincture in coffee. Is there any reason to blend this tincture into a smoothie uh, or any of your other stuff? Uh, into a smoothie, into coffee, into anything else versus just put it under your tongue and swallow it, which is what I've been doing? It's about making it easy for the customer or for the consumer in their everyday life, and we're very focused on that. And so having it as a tincture makes it very easy to add to a coffee, add to a tea, add to a smoothie. It's quite tasteless. And at the same time, you know, microdosing it in small amounts uh, straight into your mouth is uh, a great way to have it as well and absorb it straight into your into your blood system. I do five dropperfuls of the life cycle lion's mane uh, before bed, and it very reliably, I uh, have a lot more dreams than I, I normally did. That was an area of sleep improvement for me, um, and one that I feel like I've dominated that. I'm getting hour and a half to two hours of deep sleep every night, and an hour and a half to two hours of REM sleep every night, as long as I'm using the lion's mane. Uh, the deep sleep I get from glasses and sleep mode and the other stuff that people who listen are well aware of, but this is a new addition and nothing else worked to cause my dream levels to go up that much. And I tried all this stuff, uh, except I could run an electrical current across my brain and induce dreaming, but that's kind of work. <laughs> so congrats on making an efficacious product there. How did you guys get started? It's actually kind of a cool story. Uh, and not very long ago, uh, you're you're sort of sitting around going, I'm working on this, I want to crowdfund it. Just walk me through the, the history there. It's, it's pretty neat. Sure. Ryan, my co-founder, and I were working together as health consultants in Western Australia and we're comfortable in our jobs, but as you know, it's, it's not necessarily about living a life of comfort. And so the question, uh, you know, how do we have a bigger impact on people's health and how can we live in a more sustainable way uh, in harmony with the planet? were sort of questions we were asking ourselves and so it seemed obvious business was the best vehicle to achieve this and three, this was three and a half years ago we researched different models of food production technologies and just looking at where things were heading and uh, what we believed in and we certainly believed in the power of mushrooms and we believed in working with nature not against it and so as we researched uh, you know more and more really mushrooms tick so many boxes and so understanding they can be grown from coffee waste, uh, we pitched the idea of the world's first urban mushroom farm to our local city council and the mayor in Western Australia, and uh, we were able to win the pitch event. And so adding to this, we, we crowdfunded and, and bootstrapped to get our first operation of sea containers that were fitted out to grow mushrooms off the ground. And uh, you know this idea, I think the timing really resonated with the, with the people, and so we got a lot of media exposure for the world's first urban mushroom farm in 2016 and very quickly from there we learned the need for scientific expertise and, and so we brought on a biotechnology engineer a mycologist and microbiologist vertically integrating from growing the spawn to the mushroom to then carrying out the extraction process was very important to us and it enabled us to focus on making the highest quality and concentrated product we possibly could and I guess secondly to that, over the last couple of years, by being a biotechnology company and focusing on innovation, we are able to see other solutions from mushrooms themselves that could address global issues. And so the story has really gone from Ryan and myself with an idea for our first mushroom operation and bootstrapping that to get it off the ground to then scaling across Australia, the US, and now even having a base in Amsterdam. So you know, the key to the story has really been about bringing into the family talented and aligned individuals who, who are committed to our mission 
uh, which is to make enriching range of extracts from a clean mushroom supply and using ancient Australian bush foods. And so, you know, the goal really through this is to unlock humanity's potential. Now, they're full of something called uh, beta-glucan, uh, which is uh, an interesting compound. It can be immune-stimulating. Uh, it can feed good bacteria in the gut. It can also be something that if you have allergies, you can have beta-glucan allergy or allergies. What effect do you find that regularly eating mushrooms has on, or regularly using mushrooms maybe has on, on allergies in general, like hay fever and things like that? Have you noticed any changes? On hay fever specifically, we haven't had any, any sort of testimonials on that space, but consuming beta-glucans is upgrading your immune software, which means when pathogens are coming in from the outside or you're having you know, autoimmune or hypersensitivity issues with your immune system, you're just running a, a smarter, faster software that can address those issues. So there is, they can act as signaling molecules on cell membranes uh, for sure. And I think... It, this is one of those times where you look at, at the, the net science. I'm going to place mushrooms uh, where I would something like kombucha in, in my thinking of things where it can be profoundly beneficial for you. However, you might be someone for whom no kombucha works. There aren't that many people. You might be someone who can only drink this kind because the other kind makes you feel like crap. And you don't know why, right? And maybe if you kept drinking it, it would shift something and you would stop feeling like crap. I do believe that there's probably individual variation in your, your microbiome or even in your genetics that you might say, you know what, for your, you know, haplotype, <laughs> you probably don't want turkey tail. You probably want cordyceps. We have no data, no knowledge on that. But I want people listening to, to just have uh, permission. Look, if you try something and it doesn't work, try it for a little while to make sure it really doesn't work. It's not a confounding factor. And then just stop it's okay, and try something else, uh, versus that it's supposed to work, so I'm just gonna keep hitting myself over the head with it over and over and over, which is a really common thing when people are working on um, either recovering from being sick or just like, you know, I, I really wanna lose that final 10 pounds, I'm, I'm just gonna do this because it's supposed to work, and then they find out two years later they just wasted a lot of time and money on it. So it's okay to rotate your mushrooms and find the ones that work for you, but I, I'm finding a lot of value in uh, in mixing and matching the, the different tinctures. Uh, and the beta-glucan thing is a part of that. Different people have different sensitivity to those. So it's not good or bad. And so many people want to just bucket everything in good or bad. I think mushrooms are so nuanced um, that you probably can find a mushroom that works for you that is that can be a substantial source of protein and carbohydrates and probably not fat. Are there are there fatty mushrooms? Well, lion's mane is the, the fattiest mushroom of them all with five grams out of 100 grams of dried mushroom being uh, you know unsaturated fat for the most part. And so really, though, the key nutrients for functional mushrooms, such as your lion's mane, your reishi, cordyceps, turkey tail, are the amino acids, the beta-glucans, the triterpenoids, and the antioxidants. What about fats? Is there, is there like a butter mushroom that grows fat inside it? I want that. A butter mushroom? Well, there are thousands of, of mushrooms out there, yet to be identified, but uh, we're not aware of a butter mushroom, even though we are you know, commonly foraging on the weekends. We haven't come across this one, though. As we know, you know, if we had some grass-fed butter or some bulletproof MCT oil to mushrooms in the pan, that makes uh, for a pretty delicious meal. You guys do some other weird stuff that may be why I get a, strong, a stronger response uh, from your, uh, your alcohol-based extracts. Uh, you use something called cockadoo plum that I was entirely 
unfamiliar with. And this is a, a native heritage food uh, from the Aboriginal people of Australia. You know, I knew nothing about this. And I, I knew all the weird stuff. And you, you stumped me on that one. So what is it? Kakadu plum is an incredible fruit that is wild harvested by indigenous Australian communities and remote areas of the outback. So it's been shown to have the highest amount of vitamin C of any fruit in the world, 100 times an orange. And so it's very rich and rare carrying amazing properties including antiviral and antioxidants. And so by mixing it with the mushrooms, we've found definitely heightens and amplifies the benefits of the mushrooms, particularly lion's mane, as you've mentioned yourself. Now, we are incredibly grateful for the special friendships and partnerships we've been able to form with community and a specific mention, a special mention to Gumbla, an amazing man, a dreamtime leader from the Waka Waka community, who introduced us to the healing and ceremonial ways in which this is consumed in Australia. As all of our liquid extracts and powders have this amazing kakadu plum infused through the mushrooms, as well as our golden mushroom chai. And we're really getting some great testimonials about dreaming, REM levels, um, but also because of its vitamin C content, what we're finding is that it you know, helps your body recover, building immunity, which means you have more energy and your body's less under trauma the sum of what you put into the extracts seems to work way better for me uh, to the point I was relatively skeptical uh, on my my medicinal mushroom thing. I'd had some from your Chinese masters. Yeah, that, that one worked, but then this one doesn't, but I've just, I've, I've had pretty good results because it takes, it takes a lot for me to say, I want to work with the company. There are thousands and some of these like cordyceps, there's subcategories of, of species even uh, where you know, there's the cordyceps that grows on an ant versus the one that grows on a caterpillar versus all sorts of other things. Uh, but let's go through, start, start with oyster mushrooms. Uh, and uh, this is what you guys actually help people grow at home. These are things you can eat whole. But what, are the, what does the research show about what happens when people eat oyster mushrooms? There are a number of different types of oyster mushrooms, such as the pearl, the king, the blue, the pink, and the yellow. And we grow all of these in Australia at our farms. And they all have great compounds and nutrients from B vitamins, folic acid, calcium, iron, zinc, and potassium. Probably two amazing data points that are of most interest is one around the amazing antioxidant ergothionine. And ergothionine is involved in the protection of mitochondrial DNA and chronic inflammation. So this, I guess, really lends itself to being a great mushroom as part of an anti-aging strategy um, as it protects using its antioxidant profile. The second one would really be uh, focusing on something called shikimic acid, which there was a great study out of the university in Japan in 2014 that showed by growing oyster mushroom mycelium and mushrooms under blue light increased the expression of shikimic acid by 200-fold. And why that's important is because it helps inhibit the enzyme for influenza A and B viruses which are responsible for the flu. So you know, eating oyster mushrooms that are growing this way is a, a great strategy for you know, staying healthy in winter and preventing those cold and flus. So I, I was looking at, at the research on oysters and there's a, a lot of studies out there around having enough vitamin B6, magnesium, and I don't worry too much about protein compared to a lot of, a lot of people. A lot of the the... You know, vegetarian side of things like, oh, you're not going to get enough protein, you'll starve. You don't need that much protein uh, to be particularly healthy. Yeah. In fact, you probably need less than you're eating if, you're, if you eat uh, even a vegetarian diet. 
However, you need the right kinds of amino acids and you need the right kinds of fats. So from a protein perspective, it's more the vitamins, but some of the other medical research just around oyster mushrooms in general are blocking cancer growth, lowering cholesterol levels, uh, reducing inflammation, having lots of antioxidants. And this is not anything to do with life cycle. This is studies from other people talking about what happens when people just eat oyster mushrooms, right? Which is, uh, which is really interesting. So there's something going on with these that's probably different than eating, say, a steak raised on an industrial farm. Uh, now, how, how can you take oyster mushrooms? You can eat them. Is this appropriate for a powder or uh, a tincture? You can make them into tinctures, absolutely. I guess uh, they are a delicious mushroom. So it's like some of the other mushrooms, such as the reishi or the turkey tail, which are inedible because they've got what's called chitin in them. So they're very tough and fibrous. They're not able to be cooked down. So the oysters uh, can be put into risottos, into breakfast dishes, into soups or broths or uh, a great side to some vegetables and, and you know some grass-fed steak or meat. And so they are a delicious mushroom to consume. Uh, but they can be in a tincture as well. They can be in other powdered forms. Just uh, to define that word for for people who really probably haven't dug in on it, tincture. What is a tincture? What are the ways of making a tincture and what are the pros and cons? Absolutely. There's, tinctures are, uh, in our case, we make a double extract, which is a water ethanol extract. So that's a process where we're extracting the medicinal compounds using water and ethanol as the process. And so by doing the tincture process with water and ethanol, you're getting all the medicinal compounds, the, the beta-glucans, as you mentioned, the polysaccharides, the triterpenoids, the terpenes, all these uh, you know long-winded names that are essentially the medicinal compounds come from that extract. But in a liquid form, it's more bioavailable than in a powder form. And so that's why we are, we're big believers of that and, and very passionate about making high-quality tinctures. Just as you mentioned previously about the kombucha space, you know, kombucha comes onto the market, there's some high quality products there and then the market gets flooded with an, a whole range of products and the quality goes down. And so it's really a matter of keeping the quality high um, so people are, are getting those effects. And of course, then they're, you know, they're, I guess, becoming passionate about the brand and what we stand for, which is high quality. If you're listening to this, you go, oh, tincture, that sounds hard. No, you make a tincture every morning. It's called coffee. <laughs> it's a water, it's a hot water extract of Arabica coffee beans, at least if you're drinking good coffee, it might be robust otherwise. So tinctures are nothing new. Tea, tea is a tincture. So nothing amazing there. You can do a cold water extract or hot water extract, right? And you'd want to do cold water if heat would damage compounds. You want to do hot water to get out more compounds, right? And then if you were to make your coffee by pouring vodka in your coffee maker, uh, the way some of my um, college friends would probably have made it, that'd be an hot alcohol extract of coffee. So it's really a pretty simple thing. And of course, there's levels of agitation and time that it sits and whether you filter it, et cetera, et cetera. But th that's really the, the two main ways of getting an extract from a mushroom. And then clearly you could eat it fresh or you could dry it up and then eat it or, or even make a tea out of it or something. Well, I guess it is common, the word tincture, and it's you know, I guess not something we necessarily refer to with our liquid extract range, and that's largely due to a different production method and extraction method. Ours involves pharmaceutical-grade equipment and a more complicated purification process leading to a more concentrated end product. And so the pros with our liquid extract are certainly that it is more bioavailable than powders. Uh, it's you know, easier to consume in many ways. The economics work out a lot better for the, for the consumer. 
And I guess the cons, well, funnily enough, a lot of tinctures taste really bad, and whether it's a mushroom or other variety of tinctures, but something we've been really happy with, uh, with our team of scientists, is they've made something that's not only high quality and concentrated, but uh, you know it tastes really good. And so this also lends itself to the kakadu plum, because not only adding that high vitamin C potency, it also adds an Australian sweetness to the extract. Okay. Uh, so that's oyster mushrooms. Uh, talk to me about chaga. Chaga is a fascinating one from a scientific point of view. We refer to it as a sclerotia, uh, not a mushroom, as it is actually a compact mass of mycelium growing on the outside of a tree. And so this grows wild in climates of Russia, northern Canada, parts of the US and China, typically growing on birch trees over five to 15 year periods. And so we don't have access to this in Australia. In terms of its properties, it's it's well known for you know, activating B cells and micro, macrophages. And so these play a major role in you know, an adaptive immune system by secreting antibodies. And, and secondary to this, it also secretes metabolites, which have potent antioxidant properties such as polysaccharides and triterpenoids. And this has been proven to provide and protect cells against oxidative stress. That's when you can't really eat, though. You have to powder it or make an extract, right? It's a big woody chunk. Yeah, it's a big hunk. I've I've tried it, and uh, I didn't particularly enjoy the tea made out of it. So I I am, for the record, the way I use most of my mushrooms, if they're not culinary, is uh, I prefer either taking capsules or an alcohol and water-based tincture the way you guys make it. Um, I don't think it's worth... Uh, choking down bad tasting tea. <laughs> it's just, if you like it, great. But if you don't like it, is there any moral or health benefit to drinking a, a stinky tea versus taking a capsule or, or dropper full? Absolutely. You're not going to absorb it as much in that case as well. It's just, not bioavailable. Okay. So it's uh, you're losing both ways. All right. So that's chaga. And then uh, uh, one of the things there that I found interesting, although I've never felt the effect uh, uh, from trying it, it helps uh, with oxygen utilization, especially during exercise. So there might be something to be said, maybe for chaga at high altitude mountaineering or something. Uh, I haven't never tested that, but I might test it. Uh, I've been taking a lot of flights lately on a plane that only pressurizes to 9,600 feet. So it's a little higher altitude than a typical one. Uh, so I'm playing with my pulse oximeter and different types of breathing and looking how, how to manipulate the oxygen in your blood. Okay, I, I'm a geek, right? Um, but I'll try chaga. Uh, interesting. To date, the one thing I know does work is drinking carbonated water uh, seems to help because it increases CO2 in the body, which then increases your body's desire to pull oxygen in. So uh, CO2 can attract oxygen, which is counterintuitive. So maybe that plus chaga. So sparkling chaga water, it's a product. Absolutely. Okay. You're, you're making fun of me now. All right, lion, <laughs> lion's mane. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I, I really have to say your lion's mane uh, uh, extract absolutely changes my sleep. So what's the deal with lion's mane? Can you eat it? And uh, how's the best taken? What does it do? It's known as, as lobster of the woods, but it's, uh, it's by far a, a very popular mushroom for its benefits for the fact that it stimulates nerve growth factor. And so nerve growth factor stimulates myelin reproduction and myelin is is what's around our nerve cells and our neurons and so as we're getting older which occurs from you know pretty much our early 20s we're starting to decut decay slowly it helps remyelinate the nerve cell and the nerve sheath and so what does that mean well in, in our elderly population or more aging population it's where did i put my keys what was i doing what was on my checklist it's just that 
that mental sharpness and clarity starts to fade. In the younger population, it's really around memory focus, concentration, optimum performance is what we're seeing. And so you take it either in the morning or in, in the evening, it will affect your, your REM and your dreaming. And it will also increase your ability to just find clarity on a mental space and, and focus. If you're listening to this and you've read Headstrong, my book about the brain and mitochondrial function, I write a lot about nerve growth factor and brain-derived nootropic factor. And there are studies out there of lion's mane. Uh, I believe blueberries are also out there. And uh, exercise raises both of those compounds meaningfully. And then there's another compound, something that we make at Bulletproof called Neuromaster, which has a couple of clinical studies that comes from coffee fruit, but not coffee beans. So my typical, I want to have a young person's brain stack includes lion's mane. It includes uh, coffee, which actually has some some effects if I'm remembering that stuff right. It includes Neuromaster, which is the coffee fruit. Uh, it includes movement and exercise, including things like ping pong. And occasionally electrical stimulation, which is something that we use at 40 Years of Zen to run, we run a current across your brain. We can actually raise BDNF levels as well. So it's entirely possible uh, to do this in multiple ways. Stacking them for synergy matters. If you're aging, you wanna keep a young brain, you've gotta do something for this. If you're dealing with multiple sclerosis or any other chronic neurogenic disease, you've gotta get on top of NGF and BDNF in every way possible. So one is speed learning, get superpowers. The other one is don't die. Uh, either side, it's probably good. And there's like the complete list and I put linesman on my list there for sure. All right. Next up, reishi, reishi. How do I say it right? Reishi, reishi mushroom. Reishi, is how way. we say it. Reishi mushroom. So this is an immunomodulator. So a very intelligent, intuitive mushroom that can wind both up and down your immune system based on, you know, if there's a, a pathogen impending your body, very bacterial, viral, it's very smart at addressing that. But also if there's a, a hypersensitive immune system from pollens or from you know, autoimmune conditions or issues, then this mushroom is just very intelligent. It's just a building block of immunity. It's known as the mushroom of immortality, Ling Zi in, in Chinese medicine, and is one of the most revered mushrooms over there. If you go to China in the temples, it's on all the artwork, on the paintings. Um, I've got to say, though, I haven't played around much with your um, your specific life cycle reishi extract. In fact, I should, but I, I guess I never have a hard time going to sleep uh, or calming down when I want to. It's just the when I want to part of it. It's like I have a lot of fun stuff I want to do. And usually I'm like, how do I turn the volume up, not turn it down? Uh, do you find that it's highly effective for people before meditation or before sleep or both? It's a great question. It's a, a calming mushroom. So it subjectively induces that state of calmness. So whether that's after a busy day in the office or whether that's pre-meditation or pre-going to sleep, it's um, just turning down that nervous system. Man, I've been really studying this uh, and, and finding all sorts of strange things it does for things like mycoplasma and TNF-alpha and inflammatory cytokines. Uh, what's, uh, what's the deal with cordyceps and why is the species that you use special? Because there are many different species. By the way, if you hear weird sounds, that's me taking some of this as we're talking. Absolutely. The cordyceps mushroom has a compound called CDP. And so the CDP is a cordycepin. So cordycepin is really the the building block and, and the one doing some amazing work on oxygenation of cells, of allowing uptake of oxygen to the cells, um, you know, decreasing the permeability of the cell wall there to enable that. It's also got the ability to, I guess, disrupt the DNA and RNA synthesis of incoming pathogens, bacteria, viral infections. So that's the immune role it plays in terms of 
stopping viruses and bacteria from being able to duplicate or spread through the disruption of their DNA and RNA synthesis. So that's a, a very intelligent part about it. And subjectively, what we find is that, that you know, it's just a, a smoother ride all day in terms of your energy source. It's a slow release um, piece that enables, you know, fatigue resistance to be at higher tolerance. Well, I just took six dropperfuls of it. Uh, so I, I actually do that now uh, every morning. And well, that was my second dose of six today. So am I going to start sprouting spores or anything? It's it's great one, pre-exercise, pre-activity. Uh, we've seen out of the, the David Attenborough videos and, and these things online, you've seen all these mushrooms growing out of the, the cordyceps growing out of the, the bugs as it takes over the hosts. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Is that happening inside me right now, like alien? Dave, it's an emergency. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it, this is a, a real, like a deeper question. Mm. Cordyceps takes over the ant's brain and it causes the ant to climb to the top of the tallest tree nearby and sit up at the top and freeze and then explode into spores that get distributed. Like that is some dark stuff. I just took six dropperfuls. Same species, different species. The mushrooms are intelligent. Um, it is a similar species, but uh, it's, it's really the growing medium. We're this not is growing a non-parasitic one, though. That, that's the important it's key. It's key to say that we're not growing off parasites. Yeah. So, yeah. so what is this growing on? This one, they, we grow off a organic brown rice substrate. So we put some coffee through the formula and some sawdust through the formula. Okay, got it. So yeah. it likes cellulose. That, yeah. That's the primary fuel for these things. Mushrooms are nature's recycler, decomposer, and that's the great thing that a lot of different agricultural substrates can be used, mm -hmm. but different ones have different qualities that come out in the mushroom, um, which is important as well. So when you use something like cordyceps, it turns out it inhibits many of the inflammatory pathways that bacteria use to attack your cells, to, to lyse your cells, to break them down so they can steal your zinc, they can steal your iron, they can steal your fatty acids, they can steal your amino acids and then use them to against you. So there's a first line of defense here and man, cordyceps shines when you look at the, the data about this. So one of the reasons that I've added cordyceps into my, my regular regimen now is very specifically that thing. I want to inhibit slow-growing, nasty bacteria that everyone picks up as a function of being alive because I'm going to be here for at least 180 years and I'd like to be not two-thirds mycoplasma by that time. Cordyceps are a part of the anti-aging strategy for sure going forward. And it's not something they're known for or revered for, but as you've said, that research out there is exciting and points to that direction. And I think I've seen papers now on nine different inflammatory cytokines or other similar compounds that are turned down or mediated just by cordyceps, which is pretty cool. And these are not studies clearly because we're talking about dozens of them of life cycle extract specifically. This is just medicinal use, mostly Chinese studies because it's been used in China for thousands of years saying, what does this do in the body? Well, it's a pretty heavy duty herbal powerhouse is, is my perspective. So mm -hmm. um, the, of the life cycle products that I've worked with personally uh, right now, my number one would be lion's mane because of the very obvious sleep differences. And it may be the cockadoo plum you've got in there. It's different than other, other lion's mane I've used. And cordyceps, uh, I'm using for those reasons, just so I understand the science on it there. Um, do you get like a big energy hit when you use cordyceps? For me, it's cordyceps lion's mane in the morning. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's just a, enables just a very smooth ride, both on an energy level and on a focus level. Um, but it can be used in, in the evening, the lion's mane. But the cordyceps, you will get a noticeable, just longer term energy supply in terms of that sort of peak and trough that you may find with other forms of energy it's just a, a smoother ride 
for a long period of time. So endurance athletes are using it a lot. Um, this kinds of population from lion's mane, cordyceps. Oh, from cordyceps. cordyceps. So I took a relatively hefty dose of it right now, uh, and I think there's like 40 doses per bottle or something. I just took six of them, uh, and I'm feeling a little bit hot. Uh, I've got a little bit of, I don't know if it's tension, a little bit of pressure kind of behind my forehead. I feel a little bit ampy. Um, not in a like super aggressive way, but just kind of like I got a lot of energy. So you want to you want to compete, or you want to do sport, or you want to do something active. Taking a dose like that. Talk to me about how to cook mushrooms. What's the best way to cook them so that I get all my bioactives? First of all, make sure you are consuming them cooked, not raw. This way, you are breaking down the skin of the mushroom, known as chitin, to avoid any digestive issues or discomfort. And secondly, cooking the mushrooms also kills the unwanted spores and compounds. In terms of getting the most amount of nutrients and access to those bioactive compounds, well, a liquid extract would would be the number one preference for sure and recommendation. But when cooking, say, the oysters or the shiitakes to maximize your ergothionine, it's important to preheat the pan, add some water, and then cook on a high flame for a couple of minutes. Do some of the compounds in mushrooms benefit from being cooked or eaten with fat, or are these mostly water-soluble and, and alcohol-soluble? It doesn't matter. The extracts that we make are water and ethanol-soluble, so okay. you can go down either path. But I'm and talking about in terms of cooking. In terms of cooking, what compounds are you going to consume or make more bioavailable? So if you're cooking in a fat, then you, you're going down the path of a, a fat-soluble extract, which means you're going to get your triterpenoids and your terpenes. Whereas if you go down a water-soluble cooking path, then your beta-glucans, your polysaccharides, is what's going to be more bioavailable to you. So that means I'll uh, I'll keep I'll keep cooking my mushrooms, uh, and I won't cook them on low temperature. So sous vide mushrooms not a good idea. Not a low temperature and not raw. All right, they're the, the takeaways. Yeah, I, I think eating raw mushrooms doesn't seem like a good idea to me at all. Now, I have a, actually two more questions. One of my uh, favorite genres of reading. It's the uh, cyberpunk literature, guys like Neil Stevenson and uh, Bruce Gibson, uh, people who started writing in the 80s about the, what the world looked like oh, today, and they were right. And some of the more future-looking ones uh, talk about, I remember this scene really vividly, uh, there's a city where pretty much all the buildings are made out of mushrooms. Like They've controlled the growth of this, and it's all edible. So you can literally walk down a hallway, grab a handful of the wall, and eat it and you're completely fine. So people do graffiti and antifungals, so, because you have to write on a living surface. I thought that, that is such a radical way to think about you know, what a world of abundance looks like. Ever gonna happen? The more we look to the natural world for solutions and our evolution, I think the better off we're going to be. And so mushrooms and the fungi kingdom are hugely important to our evolution. Right now, as we look forward, using mycelium and mushroom biotechnologies to reform the future of medicine and healthcare, They'll be used to reawaken and expand our own consciousness, which we are seeing in places like Colorado and Oakland leading the way. Uh, mushroom biomaterials for building materials is is something that's going to be scaled over the next five to ten years, and you'll see this uh, implemented. Mushroom leather to replace animal leather, and of course, functional mushroom foods. All these, uh, you know, lend itself to showing, you know, that a utopian future is one that's interwoven. Uh, with mushrooms and humans. And so the future will largely be determined by biotechnology. And if we keep the greater good in mind and strive to reach our full potential, that means working symbiotically with mushrooms. I am actively working on living to at least 180. And I think, I think there's actually science that says this could happen. My question for you is, 
how long do you want to live? I think as a goal, a high quality life somewhere around 120, 130, I think, uh, at a top quality. A high quality life for 120, 130 years means uh, you might want to clean out the sandbox every now and then because uh, we, we have some problems there. And I do think mushrooms are part of that solution. And also, uh, thanks for making some cool stuff that's very carefully developed, stuff that actually works. Because uh, I've noticed a, a very notice, just I've noticed a noticeable, just a very meaningful difference uh, in my, my sleep quality. My REM amount is higher than it's ever been in my life. Uh, and I've been able to isolate that to uh, to your lion's mane in particular. So thanks for making stuff that works, which is why I'm now a loyal supporter and investor. Have a wonderful day. And if you like this episode, you know what to do. Try some mushrooms already. Uh, Lifecycle products, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L. The URL is lifecycle.com. And if you go to lifecycle.com slash Dave, you guys are giving 20% off for the first thousand customers who come through, which is a great gift for people listening. I appreciate you doing that. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.